All right, guys, grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Matthew 28. We're going to read 18 through 20. Twenty-eight, eighteen through twenty. Amen. Y'all are quiet today. Do y'all know we have some visitors? Are y'all like nervous or something? Like, what's wrong with y'all? Amen. Thank you very much. Jesus came and told his disciples, "I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore." Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always until the end of time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, I praise you for the victories of this church. Uh, you continue to give us confirmation. Um, Father, even through the struggles uh, we're, we're growing in that. Um, that's the thing, Father. It, it, we always look at it as struggles, but it's not struggles, it's growing pains. You're strengthening this church, and I praise you for that. Thank you for the humility, the lessons that we have learned, and the lessons that I know that are coming. Uh, Father, today, you, I've been working on this series with you, Father, for a, a long time now, uh, preaching on Revelation. And, uh, Father, I just want to thank you for the direction that you've given me. I um, was a little uncomfortable. And then after yesterday, what you gave me, Father, I, I, I praise you for that. Uh, it's given me much more boldness to get up here and speak your word. So, Father, in this moment, I'm asking that you anoint me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Father, that you take all of my pride, um, any lack of courage that I may have, Father. Take that away from me and replace it, Father, with you. Replace it with your words. Father, your boldness today, again, I need that to deliver this message. Uh, Father, your wisdom, and most importantly, your love. I ask these things in your name. Help us to love, laugh, and forgive. Amen. All right. Today we're going to start the long and awaited sermon series on the book of Revelation. Anybody excited about that? I'm glad you are. Before I get started today, I need everybody in this room to understand something. We are not studying this book because of fear. We are not studying this book to get enamored in the book of Revelation and the end times. Okay, I need you all to get this right now. It's very important that you get this. We're reading this book to gain knowledge. As disciples in Christ, guys, we, we have one job that, that he basically puts on us, and we just read it. It's the Great Commission. Our job is to go and create disciples. We're not going to get so focused on the book of Revelation that it takes us away from our number one job. Is that understood? Okay, excellent. I've seen so many churches do this, guys. They get so into the book of Revelation, and they'll go, literally, I saw this the other day. I was studying on this. Like Some of these pastors have literally preached 33 weeks on Revelation. 33 weeks. I'm going to tell you all right now, I guarantee you in 33 weeks, God's going to give me 10 things that he's like, I've got to have you preach on this this Sunday. Guys, y'all know this is a spirit-led church. It has to stay that way. We're going to go through this series. My plan is five weeks. That's my plan. Well, actually six. Bojo said he'd preach one of them. So six weeks while I'm on vacation. So six weeks. 
Because then, there, here's the thing, on that seventh week, that's Easter. So my goal is to get through this through Easter. Now, if God's got a different plan, obviously we'll start back up after Easter. But that is the plan. So obviously we're going to miss some detailed things in there, the small details, the cool stuff, little nuggets and things like that. But if you guys have got any questions on Revelation, go to Bojo. He'll answer all of them for you. No big deal. No, all kidding aside, come to myself, the elders, and, and Bojo. We'll, we'll be glad to answer your questions on Revelation because there's a lot of things in today. Because today I'm just doing the introduction. And I'm doing the first uh, three chapters. Uh, and, and I'm going to knock all that out today, hopefully. If not, I'll continue it next week. But there's going to be little things that I really wanted to preach on. That just little things. Like I said, those little nuggets, those cool things. And God's like, listen, this ain't about being cool. I need you to preach my word. And I need to make, you, make sure that you get a, the point across to this congregation the most important things that come from the first three chapters. Okay? So that's what I'm going to do, guys. All right. Uh, the title today is obviously it's Revelation. If y'all will notice real quick, it's not Revelations. It's Revelation. Can't tell me people say Revelations. It's Revelation, okay? I want to start with an introduction to this book. The book of Revelation was written in 95 A.D., a little over 60 years after the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The author of Revelation was the Apostle John. Real quick, i got to tell this story. So, so earlier today, I was talking to Sadie. My middle kiddo back here in the back, and I was talking about Revelation, and I was talking about how John wrote Revelation, and, and, and she was like, well, which one was John? I said, that was one of the apostles. I said, John was one of the 12 disciples, and he was, the other disciples always said that that was Jesus' favorite because he was so loving. He loved people, and, and people loved John, and Sadie was like, well, what about Peter? And I was like, ah. I said, Peter, you know, he had a temper. He was bold too much. He's kind of bad attitude sometimes. I said, baby, here's the thing. I said, here's the thing. Okay. Peter's Bojo. <laughs> and John is me. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, she got it. <laughs> My bad. I'm sorry, Bojo. I'll leave you alone, man. I picked on you way too much already. This is the same John, obviously, again, he was one of the 12 disciples. At around the age of 90, John was arrested for preaching the message of Jesus Christ. At 90, my man, it's like Don over here, like getting to 90, still preaching that word. I love it. I love it. Uh, he was then exiled to a small 30-square-mile Greek island called Patmos which was located just off the southwest coast of modern-day Turkey. Nick, if you could pull that map up for me, please. Okay, this is where Patmos is. Obviously, it's so small you can't even see it. It's right here. Okay, but that's where it's at. That, again, it's, it's just off the coast of modern-day Turkey. All right, that's my Google Earth picture, by the way, like a screenshot. It may look good. Turned out all right. Um, Patmos was a rocky and barren area where many criminals of Rome were sent to serve uh, out their prison terms working hard labor and in harsh conditions. I did some, some studying on Patmos. There were a lot of mines in Patmos. One of the biggest ones was a marble mine. And uh, in fact, the Pharaoh of Egypt, where he got his marble for for his castle, was actually from the island of Patmos. They give you a little bit of history there. While at Patmos, John was in a cave when an angel of the Lord came to him with a vision. This vision is now known, obviously, as the Revelation. I want to look at Revelation 1.1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to uh, present this revelation to his servant, 
John. Two things from this verse that I think are kind of cool. Number one, right off the bat, in the very first verse, literally the fourth word is the title of the book, Revelation. I just always thought that was kind of cool. And then the other thing that I always thought about was this angel that was sent to John to give him this, this, this revelation. Well, I always went like, who's that angel? You know, like, who is that? I, I mean, we don't know, and it's not that big a deal, but I just want to throw this nugget out there. I feel like it's probably Gabriel, and the reason why is Gabriel was always the one that went and gave the messages. You know, he was the one that went to Mary. He was the one that went to Zechariah. He was the one that delivered messages. So, anyway, just a Micahism. I always thought that was kind of cool. Uh, the cave where the message was brought to John is now known as the cave of Patmos. I've got a picture of that, too, just to give you all a visual. This is the outside of it today, okay? And then this is the actual cave that they say John was in. Now, it might not have been, but that's what they say it was. So it's, it's kind of cool, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think about, I want to go and I'm going to pray there, and then I'm going to be like, you know, get the feeling John wasn't even there. Like, that was dumb. But it's just, <laughs> but it's cool, though, right? Like, I'm just saying it's like a historical marker, you know. Anyway. By studying Revelation today, we will, we will receive an added bonus. I want to go look at Revelation 1, uh, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's me. That's me. And blessed are those who hear. That's y'all. And who keep what is written in it. Hopefully that's who you will be. You know, just keep going for that. For the time is near. So right off the bat in Revelation, literally the third verse, this is the only book in the Bible, guys, that is promised. If you read it, it's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. So right out, to, right out the gate today, we've already been blessed just starting out with verse 1 and 3. I mean, that's, that's where we're at. It's the only book, again, that promises that. I want to continue on. Let's look at verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, okay? Revelation is not actually a book, guys. It's a letter. So many times we say the book of Revelation. Well, that's because, you know, we said it's books in the Bible. But I need you all to understand, moving forward in this series, this is a letter. Understood? You didn't write a book. This is a letter. Just remember that throughout this series. This letter is uh, it's to the seven churches that were located in Asia Minor. Asia Minor at that time was where the two continents of Asia and Europe met. This was a meeting point for travelers passing between Asia and Europe. Today it is part of the country of Turkey. If you could pull that up for me so we can get a visual on that. This was Asia Minor. Okay, That's what you're looking at right there. Patmos Island right, right over in here. But that's what they called Asia Minor. These churches uh, were very close to the island of Patmos where John was being held. Nick, if you could pull that one up for me. Okay, so Asia Minor, here's your seven churches, and there's Patmos. So very close to the island of Patmos, understood? In fact, John's home church was this one, Ephesus, that's where this is. And am I right? Yeah, Ephesus. This was John's home church. And then, of course, he was exiled to that island. But you can see how close all this was. I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, just in a, you think about it, you could walk that probably in a matter of days, I would think. I'm not 100% positive, but we'll say that. We'll just say that. All close together. After John greets the seven churches in his letter, he then starts to describe the vision he was shown. 
In verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1, John writes that he heard a loud voice like a trumpet blast tell him, telling him to write down everything that he sees and send it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. I want to pick it back up in Revelation 1, 12 through 16. We're going to read all of this. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Uh, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. Before you go forward, Nick, hang on just a second. How many times do y'all hear that God speaks to you in a, in a, in a soft you know, sweet voice and all that. Yeah, whoever said that lies to you. Trust me. He can, he can thunder at you too, all right? You need to understand that. And I don't know about y'all, but I feel like he's thundered at me a couple times. You know what I'm saying? But most of the time, obviously, it is. It's a, it's a soft, still voice. But to let you know, any time that it talks about in the Bible that it was like thunder uh, or, or, a, or a crowd of people or something of that notion when it was loud. I want y'all to look at what follows after that. It's very important. So just like us and, and our parents when we were growing up, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but when my dad needed to get my attention, he raised his voice a little bit, okay? Not my mama because she's sweet, but dad would raise his voice a little bit to get my attention, and I feel like that's what Jesus does. If he's trying to get your attention, if it's important, he's not screaming at you, but he's getting, he's, he's raising his voice a little bit just so you know it's important, right? Okay, next. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Before I move on, I want to compare two groups of scriptures. I want to go back real quick and look at verse 13 through 15 that we just read. I'm sorry, the next one. I'm sorry, Nick. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. Now, this is describing... What he saw, what John saw, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. Now, let's go look at Daniel 10, verses 5 and 6. I looked up and saw, now this is a different person now. This is Daniel. This ain't John. This is Daniel. All right? This is 700 years before John. I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze. And his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. It's a 700-year difference. 700-year difference, guys. Two completely different visions, two completely different people. But I need you to know that in Hebrews chapter 13, it tells us, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Okay, so here's what I'm trying to get across to y'all. And again, you can take this however you want. But I 100% believe that when we see Jesus, this is what he's going to look like. 700 years before John, okay, then John. And now 2,000 years later, why would he be any different when we saw him? I believe this is what we're going to see. So you always, and, and, and again, you, you can take this however you want. But 
so many times we talk about it, we, we see pictures of Jesus holding a lamb, and, and you know, he's got brown hair and a brown beard, and, and he looks really, really young, and all that kind of stuff. We see all these pictures, and people are like, that's what it's going to look like. That's what it's going to look like. I, I don't think so. I think when we get there, this is what we're going to see. And here's the thing. It's not going to be scary, guys. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be powerful. So just remember that when you start thinking about, you know, what's Jesus going to look like? Well, there you go. I want to move on to the last verse of chapter 1. We're going to look at Revelation 1.20. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. This is in red. This is Jesus speaking. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay. There's two things I want you to catch from this verse. Number one, I want you to notice the number seven. It's mentioned here a couple times. Let's see, one, two, three, four times, five times. It's like five times it's mentioned just in this one verse. Uh, six times. Six times, thank you. Six times it's mentioned in this one verse. The reason I bring that up you know, I'm, I'm big on numbers. Number, first of all, number seven means what? Completion. Completion. Thank you very much. Number seven is mentioned 50 times in Revelation. I don't think that's a coincidence. That's a big number. Plus, Revelation is completion. Okay. See, I, I had enough time to get a few little nuggets in there. Second, when Jesus says the angels of the churches, okay, because he's saying right here the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. When he says that, he means pastors. The word angel in the Greek is someone who delivers a message from God. Uh, so in the church, the pastor obviously delivers the message from God. That's why the word angel is used. A lot of people get confused with that. But again, it means seven pastors basically is what it means and then the lampstands represent the churches right so when you're looking at this vision that i'm fixing to show you you need to keep that in mind um this letter was also for us today guys i need you to grasp this this letter this revelation was to them but for us throughout this series remember that this letter was to these seven churches but it's for us okay So today, Jesus has myself and other pastors in his right hand, and he's watching us at all times. And he's watching this church and all the other churches in the lampstands that are surrounding him. That's what he's trying to say right here, guys. He's keeping an eye on his house. Understood? Nick, pull that picture up of Jesus with the seven stars and the seven lampstands. Okay. This was the closest picture on the internet that I could find that fit the description of what is described as Jesus from John. So these seven lampstands, again, I mean, th guys, this is the churches. It, you can't really see the stars, but there are seven stars right here. I'm sorry, guys. This is the best picture I could find. But that's, that's the pastor. So he's watching all this, but what's really cool about it is they're all right by him. Like I said, he's watching his house. Like, that's his property, right? I just think it's really cool of how all this symbolism worked. Now that we've gone into, uh, now that we've kind of gotten an idea of the, the chapter 1 and, and what John has seen, I want to skip over to chapter 2 and 3, which are the letters to the seven churches. These seven churches were fairly new, but Satan was already on the attack. 
the war between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist had already begun, guys. He was only gone for 60 years, and this battle was already started. And I need you guys to understand, it, it's definitely still going on today. And it's happening right here in our own churches, constantly. Satan is always trying to scheme his way into the church so he can destroy it from the inside out. That's Satan's plan, right? We know Satan's a divider. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to divide the churches. There's going to be a lot of that we're fixing to talk about again with these seven churches. You may be asking yourself, well, Micah, how does Satan scheme his way into the church? Jesus literally is going to break this down for us in these letters, guys. From my studies on these seven letters, I have come up with three different schemes of the devil that he's been using for the last 2,000 years to tear apart churches. So three different things I want to discuss and talk about with you guys today. These three different schemes that he has put in place. Number one is a church that is biblically knowledgeable but cold. That's number one. Biblically knowledgeable but cold. In other words, these are churches that are theologically thick but there's no love. They're smart but they ain't loving people. Okay? This is a church that knows the text of the Bible front and back, but they never live it out. I say they never live it out, really, they never love it out, because that's what this book is, right? The church is, uh, this type of church is full of know-it-alls. They think they're better than other churches because they are more educated in doctrine. <laughs> this type of church never understands why they're not growing. The reason is simple. They don't know how to love people. It's the simple truth of it. This church stays inside their four walls. And they study on their doctrine day and night instead of getting out and getting outside and serving the community for showing people the love of Christ. This type of church, <laughs> this type of church reminds me of, all right, like, you know, when I was growing up, I used to play Nintendo as a gamer. It was really cool. Like, I was neat. That was cool stuff like that. But, but y'all remember, you know, Madden football, right? I mean, it's still out. Madden's still a big deal. And, and I don't know, do people even play Xbox anymore? Is that even like, where's our young people at? Is Xbox even really a thing anymore? Yes? Okay, good deal. So I used to ball with some Xbox, man. I was good at it. But anyway, I, I remember, like, I'd play, you know, Madden all the time. But I can remember, like, like when I was younger, and I was playing football, and Madden came out. We had this one dude that would stay inside all day long and he'd play Madden, man. Now, here's the thing. He knew everything about football, everything, every rule, every player at that time, every play. He knew everything about football. Couldn't play a lick and didn't want to get outside and go play because he didn't want to get hurt. That's what this church is. The church that I'm talking about right here, guys, that's their problem. They just want to stay inside and play video games instead of getting outside and actually making a difference on the field. I refuse for this church to be that way. We're going to go hit somebody. You know what I'm saying? I didn't mean that. Like, Kyle, edit that out. This church's biggest fault, guys, um, well, hang on, I want to say this, though. Don't get me wrong, guys, knowledge and, and, and 
knowledge of biblical doctrine, it's very important. But, but you've got to live it out. Okay? I, I don't want to act like I'm, I'm saying it's not important. It's extremely important. But it's more important that you live it out. Understood? We need to always remember God never demanded us to memorize all Scripture. That's the truth. You find one place in that Bible where he tells me we had to memorize every single word in it. It's not in there. But he did demand us to love people. And that needs to be our thought process. Sorry, guys. I want to make sure this is right. The churches, this type of church, their biggest fault is they cannot agree to disagree with other Christians and therefore it breaks relationships. The example of this is the first church mentioned among the seven in Revelation chapter 2, which is the church of Ephesus. Let's look at it, Revelation 2, 2 through 5. I want to read that real quick. I know all of the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people, you have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have, uh, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Okay. But I have this complaint, but. That's a terrible word when it comes from Jesus Christ. That ain't a good word at all, right? But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me. And do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. That's style verse, right? What Jesus is saying here is, yeah, you've got this knowledge. And, and, and you, you even feel the Holy Spirit. Like you, you know which people are bad and so forth, but you ain't loving on nobody. That's, my, that's your job. Jesus said, I give this command to you, right? Love people. Again, this is a church. Great knowledge. No love. Scheme number two is a church that is spiritually aware, but passive. This church, uh, this is the church that knows there is evil running rampant in their leadership and in the congregation, but never addresses it. In other words, they feel that the Holy Spirit is telling them something is wrong, but they don't act on it. And the next thing you know, the church is overrun by evil. This church tolerates sin instead of teaching conviction. Now, I need you to catch something here. We'll accept anybody who walks through the door sin-wise. I mean, good gosh, if, if, if we didn't, nobody would be in here right now. Myself included. We will accept anybody in, but, but the thing is, is, is we can't tolerate that sin. We, we can't, we want to teach them to have a heart change. We want to teach them that. And, and that's the problem with this church. They're, they're not worried about it. It's like, hey, it, it puts butts in the seats. That's what they're worried about. It puts butts in the seats and it fills up the buckets. That's the way they look at it. That's what, that's what this church, this is the type of church that I'm talking about here. Uh, this, uh, this church, their, their leadership has no backbone. The, they run from controversy instead of facing it head-on with faith and boldness. Some of y'all may know this, but buffaloes and cows. 
Why is that funny? <laughs> Buffaloes and cows. When there's a storm coming, let's say you've got them sitting in the same pasture, and there's a storm that's coming at them. A cow runs from the storm. A buffalo runs right into it. Now, the cool part about that is this. While the cow's running, the storm catches up with it, and it's in the storm longer. The buffalo faces the storm and gets through it quicker. Leadership at church, you have to face those situations. You have to take them head on like a, like a buffalo. Like that's how you have to handle it. If you run from the storm, guys, you're going to get caught in the storm, and you're going to be at a whole lot longer. Too many churches do this, guys. I really struggle with this. This church, again, is a church that conforms to the ways of the world. They start to allow the world to dictate how their church should be ran instead of following the word of God. Let's say you, uh, you got a car and it starts to mess up. It's just a little issue, just a little problem, not a big deal. A couple weeks later, you got another little problem. A few weeks later, you got another little problem. Well, then another week, you're on the side of the road, you're broken down. Again, this is that type of church. They don't fix the issues so they don't break down. You see what I'm saying? Every time there's a problem in the church, leadership has to interject. They have to get involved. And that way we stop the small problems. So that way it doesn't become a big problem. But this church, again, this type of church, the one that is spiritually aware but passive, they struggle with this. This church's biggest fault is they are more worried about growing financially and growing the size of their congregation than they are growing spiritually. I had a pastor come to me one time. This is about a year ago. Good friend of mine. I hadn't seen him in about a year. And uh, he said, man, he said, I've been watching the church online. He said, you guys are doing great and so forth. He said, man, how's your growth? And I looked at him, and I, I say that, I really I say this to everybody. I said, it's been amazing to watch God work. And I said, it is growing spiritually like no other. And he looks at me, and he says, that's the perfect answer. And he said, sit down, I want to talk to you. And I sat down, and he said, anytime you walk up to a pastor, and you ask them how that church is doing, and they start talking about their congregation numbers, or they start talking about finances, run. That's the last thing you need to worry about. And I can honestly say this, it's the last thing we worry about at this church. I mean, how often do we talk about finances in here, guys? You know? How often do we talk about numbers? <laughs> we don't talk about that. And I'm going to tell you why. Because God's going to give us exactly what we need. I'm not going to go out and, and start begging people to come in here. Uh -uh, that's between you and God. I'm not going to do that. Plus, I don't like to beg. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> of the seven churches, the example uh, of this is the church of Pergamum. I want to look at it, Revelation 2, 13 through 16. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me, uh, even when uh, Antipas, which, by the way, if you go look him up, there's nothing else about him in the Bible, by the way. Nothing. You can't find anything else on this guy. My faithful witness was martyred among you uh, there in Satan City. But I have a few complaints. But, 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 I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak 
how to trip up the people of Israel. Next. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans? Somebody give me something here. We're just going to say, we're just going to say, have some ends among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your, say that church I was talking about earlier, by the way, that memorizes doctrine and all that kind of stuff. They'd be hating on me right now, okay? (laughs) Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, it's a harsh verse, guys. Listen, Jesus is going to spit the truth out at you. I'll tell you that right now. He ain't going to lie to you. He don't sugarcoat nothing. He's kind of like Bojo. I talked about that last week. He don't sugarcoat nothing. Scheme number three is a church that is spiritually weary and falling away from the truth. Okay? This is the church that Satan has manipulated so much that they start to fight amongst themselves. They fight over the dumbest things, guys. They fight over finances. They fight over what type of worship music they want played. They fight over the color of the carpet and the paint on the walls. This church is filled, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> this church is not, the church I'm talking about is filled with a lot of entitled people that want their opinions and their words to be heard. I don't know about y'all, I ain't got patience for entitled people. I struggle with that in a bad way. God forgive me. Like every time that happens, like every time I get around somebody that's real entitled, I, 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 slow to speak, slow to anger, try to listen. Like that's what I constantly put in my head. Entitlement is what's filled in this church that I'm talking about, guys. The only person that's entitled, by the way, the only person, his name's Jesus Christ. This is the church that has people in their own congregation that won't speak to each other. They have leadership that get power hungry and start to scheme against one another. This is usually a church that starts out hot and gets cold very quickly. This church's biggest fault is the lack of strong leadership. It usually has a pastor who is great, uh, that's like, like a great charismatic speaker, okay? But, but when push comes to shove and things get tough, he can't lead. He can't lead. Great speaker, great teacher, can't lead. That's what you usually see in these churches. To be honest, guys, churches like this probably never should have been called in the first place. In fact, I, what, let me rephrase that. Churches like this probably were not called in the first place. Greed and pride probably stepped in. You probably had somebody that just said, I want to be a pastor. I'm going to tell you right now, that's nothing, guys. Anybody ever tells you they want to be a pastor? That scares the heck out of me. That's a calling. And you look at these men in the Bible, there ain't many of them that he called that wanted to do that. But he knew he'd get them to want to do that. Of the seven churches, the example of this is the church of Sardis. That's uh, Revelation 3, 1 through 3. Let's read that. I know all of the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. In other words, again, it's that church that starts out hot, man. 
Everything looks good. It's that church it looks good. You know, got, got that band and the worship team. They got lights going off everywhere. You know, I'm not hating on churches like that, by the way. I'm just describing what, what I feel like this is. Because some of the churches do that and they're amazing, right? Some of them do a great job with it. I'm not hating on them. But this is the one that has all the flashes, has all the lights, um, has that charismatic pastor. But, but the thing is, again, when, when things start to go wrong, they're not even around. They're not helping you. They're not discipling you. All they're doing is giving you a feel-good Sunday. That's what they're giving you, a feel-good Sunday. Jesus says, wake up, strengthen that little, what little bit remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believe it first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. By the way, that's it. He didn't even have a but with them. There's no but in that conversation. That's it. This is the church, guys, that, that is bad. Of the seven churches, guys, that John wrote about, in Revelation 2 and 3, only two of the seven were succeeding. Only two. It was Smyrna and Philadelphia. That's the only two out of seven. And these are the first seven churches, guys. First seven churches of Jesus Christ. It was only 60 years after he died, guys. It was still fresh. And only two of the seven were making it. The other five fell to the schemes of the devil... If those stats still stand true today, that means just over 25% of all churches are fulfilling their jobs at representing God's house. I want you to think about that. Because I need you to catch this. I bet you the number's a lot worse than that, by the way. Because, again, it was fresh. It's only been 60 years since Jesus had died and resurrected. Only 60 years. It's fresh. Some of those people were there. They saw it. You understand what I'm saying? So, so they're good with it because I saw it. I actually got to see this happen. So back then it was 25%. I bet you that number's way down today. I can't help but think about how all five of them started out hot but eventually went cold. The reason why is, again, they fell away from their first love. Jesus talks about this in chapter 3, that first love, which was him. They fell, they fell away from that. I know this all sounds pretty defeating, but the good news is the Bible also tells us how to stay on track and stay away from these three schemes of the devil that I taught on. Throughout the New Testament, the church is consistently called to do two things, guys. Two things, two objectives, two main goals. If the church and its leadership will strive for these two things, guys, they'll always defeat the schemes of the devil. Be faithfully, let me reword that, be faithful and committed to the word of God and to deeply love one another. Those two things. If a church will do those two things, it'll defeat the schemes of the devil. 
it will flourish, it will grow, and it'll grow the way God wants it to grow, which is healthy spiritually. It's a spiritual health, the way that it will grow. Committed, faithful to the Word of God and to love one another. I want to close with this. Um, Nick, can you pull that picture back up with, uh, of Jesus with the stars and the lampstand? Jesus is watching our lampstand and our star at all times. Okay, We have to make sure that, he, that they're always burning bright. We don't want him to have to look for our light, guys. Okay, so this is what I'm trying to explain to y'all. The lampstands, again, that's the churches, right? So now every church, because again, this, this, is, this is back in 90 AD, okay? There's only seven churches. So what I need you to envision right now is there's Jesus and there's lampstands everywhere, right? There's, he probably got stars in both hands now because, you know, just, there's a bunch of them. Guys, one of those lampstands represent us. One of those stars represents me. We want to make sure we stay burning bright so he can see us. We don't want to start to go dim so he's trying to search for us. Y'all feel me here? Okay. And here's the thing. Honestly, we need to be bright enough that, that we start to blind him. Like he needs to know like, okay, that's that CW church over there. That lampstand right there that the flames to the ceilings, that's that CW church. Guys, that's the church that we're supposed to be. Five out of seven were gone. Y'all feel me? Two of them were for sure gone. So that means three of the others were dim. There were only two that were shining bright. Our job is to shoot for that. That's our goal. We need to be like Philadelphia and Smyrna, the two that were burning bright, that he didn't have to look for. He didn't have to go check it when he woke up one morning. He didn't have to walk over and say, is that flame still burning? Guys, that can't be the church. We cannot go cold. Christian Warriors Church, I'm going to commit to all of you guys that I will do everything in my power to make sure that the star that represents me, that he's got in his right hand, that it don't go out and it stays bright. My question to you today is, do I have the same commitment for you, from you guys for that lampstand? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I guarantee you, some of those other seven churches, they probably said the same thing. They probably said the same thing. Guys, this is a commitment. This church in the last three years has burned so bright. I mean, it's obvious, right? The, the, the confirmation that we've received. I want y'all to think about this. And listen, I'm, this is not, I'm not boasting. I, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm bragging on God. That's what I'm doing. We've had people from Washington State, from, from Pennsylvania, from Montana, Tennessee, West West Texas. I mean, that's three states away, right? Big old state. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Guys, I can't even think. I mean, everywhere. And, and people still are messaging us today wanting to come visit this church. We've grown from 30 people to a packed house almost every Sunday. 
that light is burning. Got to keep it going. And the only way that we can do that is the two things that the New Testament teaches us. We have to stay committed and focused on the Word of God. And we got to love each other deeply. Do I have that commitment from you guys? <laughs> Amen. Y'all got it from me.